Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we began a new series on grace and truth. You know, the goal of Christianity is to become more Christ-like. And I think the Bible gives the greatest description of Christ-likeness when it gives us the description of Jesus in John 1, 14. It says he was filled with grace and truth. In this series, we're going to talk about what it means for Christians to be all grace, all truth. You know, Jesus was not at times grace or at times truth. He was always grace and truth. And we're going to talk about that balance. We're going to see how we can get that balance in our own lives. And oh, what a tremendous effect it's going to have for the gospel in the lives of all of those around us. I hope you enjoy this new series on grace and truth. Well, we're going to be today in John chapter 1, verse 14. I want to talk to you about this set of scriptures. Uh, we'll look, we'll just peek into verse 12 and 13 and 14, but I want to zero in on grace and truth today. I want to talk to you about what it means to develop in our own lives and within our church, but particularly within our own individual lives. I want to talk about what it means to really develop Christ-likeness in the form of grace and truth, okay? Many Christians are truth-oriented but lack grace. Many Christians are grace-oriented but lack truth. What the Scriptures teach us was that Jesus Christ was filled with grace and truth. He wasn't 50% some and 50% the other. He was 100% grace, 100% truth. And when you and I understand this concept, when you and I get this principle, when God shows us this truth and we begin to apply it into our everyday life, let me share with you, my wonderful friends, it transforms our walk with Christ. It changes the way we think and it changes the way we act. It changes the way we see the Word of God. It changes the behavior that we give to other people. Christ-likeness in the form of grace and truth. You know, many churches today, they're filled with grace, but they lack truth. Have you ever seen churches like that? Many churches are heavy truth, but they lack grace. We're going to see the difference today. Christians that are heavy in grace, but they lack truth, well, they, have, they often pollute the gospel. And it's not the true gospel. Churches that emphasize truth, but not enough grace, they push people away from the gospel. They breed, in, they breed legalism and self-righteousness. Oh, Lord. Anybody ever been around those kinds of Christians? Ooh. How do you get the perfect blend? How do you get the mixture? How do you get the right balance of grace and truth? That's our subject today. Look with me at John chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to notice that verse. 
It says that he came to his own and his own received him not, but to as many as did receive him, did he give the right or the power to be the sons of God, <coughs> to be the children of God. Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is? In our culture, in our society here, many people really don't understand the gospel. If, if I were to ask you, please tell me what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, most people would just say, well, I found the Lord. But that's not the gospel. That's not the true gospel. Many people would say, well, you know, I invited Jesus Christ to come inside my life and I got saved. But well, that's not the true gospel. Do you realize that the word gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ? You realize that if people, if people are to truly receive the good news, you realize they first have to hear the bad news. And the bad news is, is that sin is such a calamity upon our lives. Sin is such a disaster. Sin is so devastating that it doesn't make people bad. It makes us dead to the point that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. But do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died, was buried, and rose again. For what purpose? That he might bring the life of God inside of us. That we who were dead in our sins, our heart would begin to beat with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And it made us come alive with Jesus. Every single month, I get the high high privilege to preach the gospel to the people of Pakistan every single month. The team there will set up speaker systems and a huge large screen and they'll call me on Skype and I'll hold a phone as far out as I can and sometimes they have to say left, 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 right, right, because I can't see. <laughs> but they can see me and on that through that Skype call and with an interpreter, I'll preach, I'll herald, I'll proclaim, I'll trumpet out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that land that is dominated by Islam, that land that is dominated by pagan gods and Buddhism, that land that is just rampant with witchcraft and witch doctors, I'm able to tell those precious people of all religions, of all the world, it is man trying to seek after God. But do you know what sets Christianity apart? Do you know what makes the gospel, the good news, the best news you'll ever hear? It's not, a, it's not man trying to seek God, trying to forgive our own sin. The gospel is God coming after man in that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and he died for us. Amen? And every month, hundreds upon hundreds hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. Every month, this church sends $300 a month worth of Bibles to those precious new believers. Amen? Amen? Can I gossip about a local church for a moment? 
Can I tell you some news about a church? We walked out to the mailbox this week. And our wonderful brothers and sisters, our wonderful friends at Crossroads United Methodist. The church in Allendale, you know what I'm talking about? Off the corner of Netherland Inn and Stone Drive. We went to the mailbox and there was a $1,500 check for Bibles for Pakistan Christians. Amen. Isn't that so beautiful? It's not churches being territorial. No, it's the kingdom of God coming together. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. And see, when Christians and when churches get it right, when the gospel is our focus, the gospel spreads as God intended it to spread. The gospel. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. But to, many, but to as many as did receive Him. Are we in that category? Are we among those people? To them gave He the right See, do you realize today you have the right to pray? <laughs> you have the right to approach the throne of God. Come on now. You with me right now? Because the Holy Spirit's going to minister to some people. I can feel it in my heart. There's some of you, you'll pray for everybody, but you won't pray for yourself. You feel ashamed when you pray for yourself. You feel like it's self-centeredness. You feel like it's self-serving if you ask God to help you. But no, let me tell you, my friend, you're a child of God. You have every right in the universe to approach God Almighty. Amen? You have every right to ask for forgiveness of sins. You have every right to ask God to help you in your weaknesses. You have every right to ask you, ask God to pull you through temptation or to pull you through trials. You have every single right to come before God Almighty. Amen. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 with me. Oh, I love this now. Notice what he says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What are we talking about right now? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the word of God is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen. That's why Jesus said the word of God is eternal. That's why Jesus said every jot and every tittle will last for all of eternity. You know what Jesus meant when he said every jot and every tittle? It means every stroke of a pen. It means that every dotted I and every crossed T will endure for all of eternity. Because the word, the Logos, the word is God. Amen. Amen. That's why when Jesus Christ returns... The Bible says that when Christ comes physically to the earth at His second coming, the Bible says that He will ride on a white horse. And do you know what's written on the thighs of that white horse? What's written on the thigh is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And do you know what else is written according to Revelation? The Word of God. Amen? The Word of God. Can you imagine what it's going to be when Christ comes again and we are with Him? The armies of heaven and we return with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Can you imagine? Uh, can I follow a rabbit trail for a moment? Will you give me room just to get off track for a second? I, w- I was thinking, what in the world are news outlets going to say when what the Bible calls harpazo? That's the Greek term. Harpazo for the catching away, for the rapture of the church. Harpazo, what a beautiful word. Just say it with me. Harpazo. Harpazo. That's the rapture. That's the catching up of God's people. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Doesn't scripture say encourage one another with this? As you see the, the day drawing near, lift up your heads as your redemption draweth near. And, and, and what, what, what's, what do you think CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and all this mess, what do you think they're going to say when the harpazo takes place? What are they going to say when according to the word of God, when the armies of the earth gather in the valley of Megiddo for the great battle of Armageddon, what are they going to say when Christ returns? How are they going to explain it? You know, you know, you know I, I was just thinking about this. This fall, I was listening to a news report that scientists are closer than they've ever been to opening a black hole in space. I'll be honest, I don't care if they do it or not. This world is not my home. I could care less. But wouldn't that be interesting if they do? Wouldn't it be a very good explanation for what happens when the harpazo takes place? And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we are changed from here to there. Amen? Amen. Anyways, that's off track. That's not even in my notes. Amen? All that's free. All right. Where am I? Oh, the Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, friends, this is what makes the Gospel so unique. This is what makes the Gospel the Gospel. Now see, I I want us to think about this because in our culture, we think the gospel is that we found the Lord. Friends, do you realize we're so lost we didn't even know where to look? The lost coin didn't find itself. The lost sheep didn't find the shepherd. The shepherd came and found us. Amen? And the word became flesh. Don't ever get that wrong. The gospel is not you finding God. The gospel is God rescuing you. That's the gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as the only son of the father. That's the gospel. And then look what it says. And he was filled with grace and truth. I want to talk about that for a moment. What does it mean that Jesus was filled with grace and truth? What does it mean that Christ was... It does, it does not mean... Let's, let's understand this first. It does not mean that it's like a switch that he would flip. Okay? It doesn't mean that in some incidences Jesus responded with grace 
And then in other cases, he would respond with truth. It doesn't mean that it was a switch, that at some point he was 50% grace, at some point 50% truth. No, what it means is that at all times, in every single circumstance, with every event, with every person that Jesus encountered, he was 100% grace, 100% truth. Do our lives reflect that? Odds are, like most churches, you, odds are, you are probably more truth-oriented than you are grace-oriented. Or you are more grace-oriented than you are truth-oriented. And to be one over the other compromises the gospel. It undermines the true work that God desires to do. Now, I mean, let's just get real for a minute. You've all seen churches that are heavy grace but low on truth, right? Those types of Christians, those types of churches, they compromise the gospel. It's not the true gospel. It, it breeds moral indifference. And, and what it does, it pollutes the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, even though they think they're doing well, they push people away from the gospel. Whereas churches that are heavy truth and lack grace, they also pollute the true gospel. They breed self-righteousness. They breed legalism. And what does it do? It pushes people away from the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that when Jesus walked to the earth, sinners were so attracted to Him that they would tear the roof off of buildings to get to Him? And why is it that today sinners oftentimes will jump out of windows to get away from us? Why is that? Could it be that we are lacking this truth of being filled with truth and grace together? You have to have one over the other. Now, don't misunderstand. This is not a paradox. You know, a paradox is an apparent contradiction, right? But see, the truth is, grace with truth is not a contradiction at all. It's a fulfillment of Jesus. And when your heart and when your thinking, when your life is so filled with the Jesus of the Gospels, you're going to be filled with grace and truth. Amen? And is that not what the world so desperately needs? Is that not what we need more than anything in our lives? Grace and truth? See, you and I live in a world. Our world has suffered immensely from this pandemic. And as we begin to enter a post-pandemic world, see, you and I need to understand something as Jesus followers. You and I, we need to understand that people are more Grace-starved, people are more truth-starved than ever before. We live in a grace-starved, truth-starved, hungry world. And the greatest need that people have is this grace-filled, this truth-filled Jesus. And the answer that God has given the world is the gospel that's in these jars of clay. That means you 
represent Jesus to the world. Are we doing that with grace and truth? Or are we heavy on truth, low on grace, or heavy on grace and low on truth? If you and I are going to represent Jesus the way we're supposed to, we must have both. You take a bird with only one wing. You take a broken wing and only one wing, no bird can fly, right? It takes two wings for a bird to fly. And the gospel flies on grace and truth. You cannot separate them. They are both essential and they are both vital. And if you and I are going to represent Jesus to a grace-starved, truth-starved world, it requires grace and truth in our life. Go with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20. In the 9 a.m., I asked everyone to turn to Galatians chapter 6 verse 20. And someone very politely spoke up and said, there's not a Galatians 6.20. <laughs> I'm glad they did that. Because it's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20. I want you to note this scripture in your Bibles. What a beautiful Scripture this is of the great Apostle Paul. Paul says of himself that he is an ambassador in what does your Bible say? In chains. Now, friends, this is highly significant. And I want you to note this because it will change your perception of this Scripture. Paul says that he is an ambassador in Change. Do you realize that in Paul's day, ambassadors that would represent a powerful king or ambassadors that would represent a powerful empire, do you know what they were known for? They were known for thick chains of gold around their necks and wrists. And as a matter of fact, the larger your chains were, the larger your gold necklaces or your gold bracelets were, the thicker and the larger they were meant the more wealthy and the more powerful your empire was. Scholars think this is exactly what Paul meant when he was imprisoned in Rome, writing the book of Ephesians, and when Paul was literally chained to a Roman guard. Do you know what Paul's perception was? I am an ambassador in chains. Just as ambassadors wore thick golden chains to represent their wealth of their kingdom or empire. So Paul wore the prison chains with honor representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're talking about the right perspective in life. Amen. Now I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. Will you turn there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. Turn or browse, right? I remember some few years ago when I was speaking to our middle and high school students, I had eyesight at that time, and they had the lights dim in that service, and I was preaching, and I said, turn in your Bibles to whatever, and all these faces just glowed. <laughs> they were all using their devices. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. What does Paul tell us? Listen to the words. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. What does it mean that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you. It means that you and I represent a king. <laughs> you and I represent a kingdom. You and I are the literal representations of Jesus Christ to this lost and hurting and dying world. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as always representing Jesus, filled with grace and truth? See, what I love about an ambassador of the United States, think about this, an ambassador of our great country, does it matter if an ambassador is in their office in the embassy or not? Are they only the ambassador when he or she is sitting in the office of the embassy? No. It doesn't matter where an ambassador is. An ambassador is always representing the United States of America. Is that right or wrong? An ambassador can be anywhere at any time. It can be sitting at dinner. He or she may be at dinner, but it doesn't matter. He or she is the ambassador of the great United States. And friends, is this our perception? Whether we're in church or not, whether it's a Sunday or not, if we're at work, if we're out to dinner, if we're with friends, if we're in our neighborhoods, no matter where we are or who we are with, we are ambassadors filled with grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next time your sweet tea don't get filled on time? Come on now, right? The next time that that server messes up your order... Are you an ambassador of Jesus? The next time that that boss that drives you nuts, are you an ambassador? That next time that that customer comes in that you just absolutely cannot please and that person who lies on you and that person who tries to mess with your weak, are you an ambassador of Jesus to all people at all times? See, church, the only Jesus that most people will ever see is the Jesus in you and the Jesus in me. We represent Christ. Now the question is, are we representing him in full grace and in full truth? Are we like Jesus that we are 100% grace, 100% truth at all times? And we're able to minister to people in that way. Friends, when you begin to see yourself as an ambassador, then it changes everything you do. It changes the way. It changes our behavior. Last night, I was so thrilled. I was beyond thrilled. As over 20 from our church went to our friends at Hunger First. This was our fourth consecutive week feeding our friends at Hunger First. Friends, do you know that last night we fed more people than we fed yet? So many of you brought, the last I heard was 14 pans of spaghetti. 
Texas Roadhouse donated salad and bread for us. The last, if I understand right, there was one pan left and we took it to Hope Haven. We fed nearly a hundred homeless last night. Amen. To God's glory. Friends, do you know what it means? It means that as we march up there week after week after week after week going forward, we are going as ambassadors of the grace and of the truth and of the love of Jesus Christ. What a high privilege, amen? What an honor it is to represent Jesus with grace and truth. Are you part of that? Are you, part, are you engaged in the work of the Lord? Let me tell you, there are opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many opportunities for you to say, no, I'm going to represent Jesus to everyone that I come across. I'm not going to be about myself. I'm not going to be self-absorbed. I'm going to represent Jesus in every action that I take, in every person that I encounter, in everything that I do. That's why Paul said, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatsoever things we do, do it to the glory of God. Amen? You know what the scriptures actually mean when Jesus said, I want you to think about this. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know what we often think that means? That often means to us, in our Western way of thinking, in our English way of thinking, we often think that means circle the wagons and huddle up. (laughs) It means circle the wagons to us. Let's hunker down in holy huddles. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. But do you know that's not at all what Jesus meant? Do you know what the literal meaning of the gates of hell shall not prevail? It literally means for Christians to lock arms. And it literally means that like a giant army, we march step in step. And what it literally means is that we put our shoulders into the gates of hell and we push it back and we push it back and we push it back amen and do you realize that that's what god is using our church to do right now in our city we are locking arms it's not about this person it's not about that person it's about the gospel of jesus christ and we are pushing against the gates of hell and to god's glory we're putting some massive dents in the gates of hell amen because why it's the gospel and just like we're going to talk easter when we're all about the resurrection when we're all about the power of the gospel of Jesus, then you know what happens? Great power falls upon the church. And you know what happens when great power comes upon the church, upon Christians? You know what happens? Then great grace is upon us all. Amen. Calm down, Chad. You're going to preach Easter. I can't preach the Easter sermon. I won't have nothing to say. We're pushing. The gates of hell will not prevail against us because we're pushing with the gospel. Amen. So what's your perception today? Do you live self-absorbed? Do you live live for yourself? 
Let me begin to wrap up with this. Let me share with you what happened to me. And I want to say this carefully. So Lord, help me in, in describing this. There was an individual that Satan began to lie to me about. How many of you know Satan lies? He's the father of lies. Jesus said in 840, John chapter 8, verses 44, 43, 44, 45, Jesus teaches and says Satan is the father of lies and everything he says is a lie. Everything. Think about that. The Bible says that he speaks out of his own nature and everything he says is a lie. That's why even when he says something that's true like he did to Jesus in the wilderness, even when he says something that is true, there is a twisting to it. You know wicker furniture? Do you know why it's called wicker? Because it comes out of the root word wickedness, which means to twist. The reason why Satan is so wicked is because everything he says is a twisted truth. So because he lies, okay, you got to be careful. you got to be careful when Satan lies to you. And there was this individual that Satan began to lie to me about. It was someone that the Lord wanted me to get to know and minister to, but Satan, in some way and somehow, just told me, Chad, this person has wrong motives. This person is thinking this. This person is thinking that. I had nothing to base that on. Satan was telling me this person had wrong motives, and all the while... I was having wrong motives. And do you know how the Holy Spirit helped me with this? Think about this. The Holy Spirit, uh, I was feeling very conflicted about this individual. I was feeling very, I just had, it just didn't feel good. And it wasn't like it was a spiritual red flag. It, it's, it was a deception. <clears throat> and here's what the Holy Spirit asked me. Chad, first of all, is what you're thinking, is what you're feeling. Number one, is it even true? <laughs> is it even true? See, some of you have been upset with people. Some of you have been angry with people. Some of you have heard what other people have said about you. Some of you have conflict in your work and tension on your job because you think something is true. Friends, it may not even be true. And I had to put that test in, in the way I was feeling, this conflict I was feeling. I had to stop myself. And the Holy Spirit asked me, Chad, is there truth to this? And then the Holy Spirit said, Chad, even if there is truth, where's your grace? Is there grace? And you know what the Lord helped me to be able to do? The way I felt toward this person completely changed when I put the truth test and the grace test to it. It may be who you're struggling with. It may be the feelings that you're having right now. Friends, it may not even be true. And even if it is, where's your grace? If we're going to be like Jesus... If our hearts and our lives are going to be so filled 
with Jesus Christ. Where's grace? Where's truth? Do you apply them both equally to other people as Jesus did? The grace test. See, the Old Testament is so filled with the truth of God, right? And the Old Testament's about the law. See, the law reveals sin, but only Jesus can remove it. And do you know why grace comes before truth? Because God introduced grace to the world through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Titus 2, I think verse 15 says, And now the grace of God has appeared to us all through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you something. Are you giving grace to people in your life? If God so introduced grace to the world through Jesus, are you introducing Jesus and God's grace to everyone in your life? Are there things you've believed that are not true? Are there rumors that you've heard but they're not true? Maybe right now, let me just be honest. Maybe you have a bit of an alt against me or against our leadership because we've made decisions that you don't agree with. Or maybe our church is moving in a direction that you're not comfortable with. I don't know. But let me ask you, are you extending grace? Are you believing truth? Don't let Satan ruin some of the greatest relationships you'll ever have. Be that with family. Be that with siblings. Be that with grandchildren. Be that with employers or employees. Be that with neighbors. And for goodness sake, with church family. Don't don't let Satan tell you things that simply are not true. Give the truth test. Give the grace test. And I promise you, you'll live your life the way Jesus did. And isn't that the goal of Christ-likeness? Isn't that the goal of our Christian walk? Is to be just like Jesus. So Lord, will you fill us with your grace today? Will you fill us with your truth? Help us to avoid legalism. Help us to avoid having no standards. Majoring on uh, on grace and minoring on truth. No, God, let us be 100% grace and truth. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Perhaps you're here. Perhaps you're watching online. And truth and grace has never come to your heart. Today, maybe you're on the outside looking in. You know what Jesus would say to you today? If you're on the outside looking in, Jesus would say today, 
door is wide open. Come in. Some of you, and I can feel it in my heart, and I'm going to obey the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear me, precious, precious people. Hear me. Some of you are like a beggar who is so hungry, but you stand at the threshold of the bakery. And you've yet to come in. You've yet to walk through the door. And do you know how I know that the door is open to you? Because Jesus is the door to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And do you know what Jesus says to all of us beggars? He says, come in. Will you step through the door today and receive Jesus, who is grace and truth? Maybe your heart's empty today. Maybe your life is empty. Maybe you've tried all there is to try in life, and it's left you so unfulfilled. Friends, what you need is grace and truth. Your soul is hungry. It's starved in grace and truth. It's the answer. With your heads bowed right now and your eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're without Jesus today, if all you've had is religion, if you need genuine grace and truth, I want you to pray with me right now. I want you to pray with me right now. Pray this in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Will you come into my life today and forgive all my sins? I repent today and I believe on you and trust in you for the salvation of my soul. Bring me grace, bring me truth. In Jesus' name, amen.